welcome to Let's Get Both Ties, and this episode we are saying trans rights because it's a new year, we're doing regular episodes, and I wanted to talk about uh, this going on, and I'm talking with my friend Zoe, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, you know, it's been a it's been an interesting week for the trans community, but all things considered, I'm doing fairly well. Alright, well, just to sum that up, do you want to quickly break that down, or... Um, yeah, before I dive in, I want to um, preface this with like a little bit of a disclaimer. So uh, I do work professionally in LGBTQ plus advocacy and LGBTQ plus youth rights. Um, but I did want to make it clear before we begin what I'm saying here today, I'm representing myself. I'm coming here as a private citizen and a transgender woman. Um, so anything I say here today is my opinion, my view. It is not, um, I am not speaking on behalf of my employer. So I wanted to make that very clear. Um, uh, so to answer your question, getting into generally across the U.S., uh, we are starting to see a lot of anti-trans discussions starting up. Uh, legislation has started in most states, um, if not all states. So we're starting to start. We're starting to see the bills that are coming down the pipeline for this year's legislative season. And in Indiana, uh, one of the first ones filed was an anti-trans law. So for those of you who aren't up to date with what Indiana's lawmakers are doing last year, affirming health care of any kind for transgender minors was banned in our state. Um, and now the what they're aiming to do is start to strip away rights, um, making it harder to change gender markers if you can change them at all, uh, making things based on biological sex rather than gender. So they're actually in the process of changing uh, a lot of laws, including marriage, to talk about biological sex and not gender. So not only is this gonna affect the trans community, it's gonna affect the gay community as well, as this is a big threat to marriage equality. Well, I mean, and, there were, uh, I, I mean, it was a point I was trying to get to is that um, the trans rights and gay rights have basically been commingled since the start so anyone who, yeah, you know, anyone who thinks um well transgender i'm just gay hey trans people doesn't don't have to do anything with me uh think again <laughs> yeah exactly you know that's a, a bit of a history lesson that a lot of people either didn't learn or they just vehemently deny um, oh i'm so sorry that is my dog he's very upset about i think my dog is yelling trans rights we'll just say that oh yeah um, he's mad too <laughs> We are absolutely um, fine with pets here. I got my cat on my leg. She does not want to. <laughs> she cares too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I was saying is like, the, when you look at the whole long history of queer rights, the queer rights movement that started in the 60s with the Stonewall riot, we have what we have in America because a group of trans women of color was pushed too far. Marsha P. Johnson, a black trans woman, threw a brick and started the Stonewall riots. And right by her side was Sylvia Rivera, a uh, Latine trans woman. And it, it's just it's just history, you know? Um, when people wanna say, like you said, people will argue, well, I'm gay, um, it's about my sexuality. Trans people are something else, or they're something weird. You can't, you know, people always have these weird detractors, even when they're in the community, which is so baffling to me. Um, and they just don't stop and think of the fact that they have 
any amount of freedom because of trans women. So it's just completely baffling to me that they've also tried to really erase these women too. I was trying to find this quote from Sylvia Rivero. I have been to jail. I have been raped and beaten many times by men, heterosexual men that do not belong in the homosexual shelter. But do you do anything for them? No, you all tell me to go and hide my tail between my legs. I will not put up with this shit. I have been beaten. I have had my nose broken. I have been thrown in jail. I have lost my job. I have lost my apartment for gay liberation. And you all treat me this way? What the fuck's wrong with you all? Think about that. Yeah, I'm like, you know, half the time when, when Sylvia Rivera speaks, people should listen. I, you know, that's... She's got, she said some really fabulous and profound things about the community. Like, and we said with, she was there at the inception of the actual queer rights movement. And the amount of work that her and Marsha and women like them and men like trans men, queer men the, the, and queer women, the work they did being erased or, um, this is one of those things I get so passionate about it and my mouth starts moving faster than my brain, but uh, I'm losing words, but it gets downplayed. And look at someone like Marsha. Marsha died in poverty. There is a lot indicating that she was murdered, uh, but when she died, the police force did not do an investigation. The gay community, the queer community, I'm gonna say stick with saying the gay community of New York did not advocate for any investigation into her death. They did not advocate for any discussion around it. They're just like, they say that it was a, a suicide. And because she did have mental health issues, people want to say, oh, she killed herself. But all the circumstances around her death really point to murder. And I think it was just a lot of the gay community saw this as an opportunity to erase her, um, to have a visible black trans woman at the front of the discussion, they felt would harm their movement, would harm the the nation's outlook on queer rights. Um, going along with that, I think they also thought because she did have mental health issues, they started conflating. Oh, she's trans because she has mental health mental health issues, or she had mental health issues because she was trans. And just the fact that she was the mother of our movement, this pioneer, this powerful woman, and she's just swept under the rug like that, and. To top it all off, people for decades talked about her as a as a drag queen or a transvestite rather than a trans woman. Um, and I know some people probably say, well, I know Marsha referred to herself as a transvestite. And while that is true, she never referred to herself as a drag queen that I'm aware of. And at the time, looking at the late 60s, early 70s, transvestites and transgender and transsexual were all words that were used kind of uh, interchangeably to describe trans women. So it's uh, not only was her movement erased and downplayed, her identity was completely wiped away and changed to fit someone else's narrative. Yeah. Ooh. It's basically really, it, it should be a, a moment of shame though, but it should also be a moment to think about what can we do now to, show, to ensure that 
we don't erase that again. So I'm, yeah, what I say to people when they ask, what can I do to support the trans community or the queer community as a whole? And I say, you got to stand up and you got to talk. You got to use your voice. Uh, use your voice, especially for those who don't have a voice, which is like I said earlier, I'm in youth advocacy because queer youth are so often marginalized and their voices wiped away. And it's even worse for trans youth. Now trans youth can't even get the most basic of affirming care, care that is empirically proven to save lives. So that's, again, if you have a, any level of a platform, you have to stand up and use it. You have to say something. You have to write to your representatives, whether that's your senator or your state representative, your district, your mayor, your governor, start writing letters and start letting them know that you are not for the subjugation of people. You are not for classifying trans people as second rate citizens. And th that's the biggest thing you can do is you got to rock the boat. You got to make noise. It's like that old saying, you know, well-behaved women rarely make history. And I think when we're in these moments, well-behaved people rarely prevent disasters there's so many horrors and atrocities that and human right violations that have happened in our world year after year, decade after decade. And a lot of them happen because people think, well, it's not my place to get involved. It's not my place to talk about it. It'll sort itself out. And the fact of the matter is it won't. You, we need to be, we need to make love louder than hate. So that's, that's my big call to action here. And I'll probably repeat it a thousand times today. Just like if you're listening to this, open up another browser tab and start looking up your state representative and your senator and start writing some letters and uh, start making it clear that you believe that trans people deserve rights. And again, this is me talking as a private citizen, not as a representative of a nonprofit organization. Right. Okay. So, yeah, there's been... Yeah, there's, of course, been the expected right-wing conversation about transgender people where it's just at some point it's almost they're they're just so like intentionally uninformed that it's almost laughable but on the other hand considering how much power they have it's also scary it's oh, almost like it, you don't know which one to be sometimes yeah absolutely it's it's the kind of cultural whiplash that i feel like trans people deal with on a daily basis you're like Someone will say something and it's so profoundly ignorant. And you're like, I could almost laugh at that. But they actually have power. You know, they could actually do something with their mis they Their misinformation is being taken as fact. And that's one of the scariest parts. Um, it's kind of like, I see a meme a lot where it's a quote from an, uh, an anti-trans legislator or just a transphobic person or some kind of transphobic thing. And the comment is just that... Um, image from the old Pokemon games that says it hurt itself in confusion because you'll hear things say like people like trans men are not women. And it's like, Oh, that is actually correct. Um, and I think I even brought this up when we were discussing Ozma a while back, you know, when people say, well, Ozma was really a woman the whole time. So, and trying to use that to negate her status as a trans icon. And I feel like people talk about real women and real men. And it's like, well, Trans women are real women. Trans men are real men. And non-binary people are just as valid as people who fit a binary, whether it's cisgender or transgender. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about your own journey there? Because, you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't want to dead name you, but when I first met you, you were, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know you were Zoe, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you know, like so many people, it's a life journey. I was one of those people that in many ways I feel blessed to have known who I was at a very young age. I remember identifying as a girl as young as two, you know, as my earliest memories. Um, I think I was sharing this story with someone the other day. I remember going to Walmart when I was like three, maybe four, and just throwing an absolute fit, kicking, screaming, and crying that I had to pick out an Easter suit instead of an Easter dress. Um, and it's, it's interesting because one thing you always hear is that trans people are indoctrinated or something made them the way they are, like they suffered abuse and that somehow made them think they were trans. But um, for a lot of trans people, well, well, all trans people are trans from the day they're born. Whether it's realized or not, it's a fact. And a lot of us know who we are from our earliest memories and it has nothing to do with sexuality. It, you know, before we even know the biological differences between what we would classify as biologically male and biologically female, before we know what genitalia is, a lot of trans people already have in their minds, I am a boy or I am a girl, because it's that's that's the whole thing about gender. Gender is someone's personal experience, someone's personal identity. And it's what's in our hearts, it's what's in our brains, it's what in, what's in our souls. And I didn't ever need anyone to tell me that I was a girl, just like you probably never needed anyone to tell you that you were a boy. And I don't think anyone ever has to be told what their their gender is. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm starting to ramble a little bit here. It's fine. The, the, key, <laughs> the key part was I knew who I was and I always gravitated to um, the things that would be considered girly. I played with dolls. Um, and all those other things that we think of as being traditionally feminine. I was really interested in cooking and sewing and all these domestic things, which um, was my own draw to, and I always like to punctuate this, like um, being liking domestic arts and traditionally girly things does not make me a girl. It's not a reflection of me being a girl. That's just my personal gender expression. I always kind of leaned towards the feminine and but i also grew up in a very conservative indiana town so at my youngest age it's crazy that even when i knew that i was a girl at two i knew that it was something i wasn't supposed to talk about it was something that i shouldn't express because people would think there was something wrong with me or i'd be punished and so well earlier when i said i was blessed to know who i was at a young age in many ways, yes, but at the same time, it was also this curse that I had to carry with me of hiding my true identity, never really getting to be myself as a child. Um, I found my own way to express myself, which um, I think a lot of people from my youngest ages just prescribed that to me as, well, that is a very flamboyantly gay boy, which wasn't true, but it was the safest way to, I mean, just being visibly queer in any way was not a safe thing in my hometown. I mean, we're talking again, rural, conservative Indiana in the early nineties. Um, so even gay wasn't safe at the time. Um, so I had to often keep things to myself. And uh, that, that was a big burden that weighed on me for a long part of my life. 
And so just over time, I, like I said, I kind of crafted this facade. And um, I'm an actress, and I have been since a very young age. And I think that in many ways, presenting the front of trying to pretend to be a boy was an acting gig in and of itself. And as I grew older, it just became harder and harder to stifle that down, especially as I became an adult, um, as I was entering life and I was hitting this point where people are supposed to be finding the, the love of their life. They're supposed to be living their best life in their twenties. And I felt like life was leaving me behind. Um, while I had been I like to say I was incorrectly out as gay um, from my late teens. Um, you know, I dated men, but the relationships didn't work because I always kind of had to conceal the fact that I was actually a woman or, you know, when you date someone and you get to know them and you're intimately involved, that's kind of, that gets much harder to hide. So, you know, I get in relationships with men and they'd realize, oh, you're a woman. I'm a gay man. I like men. And so that's why a lot of my relationships didn't work out in college. And so, again, I was getting into my, uh, you know, the, the ages where they start to tell women that they're, they're hitting an expiration point, which is complete BS. A woman, any person is a full and worthy person till the, from the day they're born to the day they die. So don't tell people they have a shelf life. Um, that's just, there's my feminist soapbox for a minute. But, you know, I was getting in, into being 26 and I'm like, uh, I society's telling me I should be getting married and settling down and I can't even wear the clothes I want to wear in public. Um, so that was kind of the journey that started to bring me out. Um, now, I did have in my, my core friends in college knew I was trans from about sophomore year of college, maybe junior year um, to my very close knit friends. They, they knew me as Zoe way back then. When we went out on weekends to clubs and stuff, I did start experimenting with my gender through clothing and makeup. And, you know, um, I kind of went through steps. While my friends knew I was trans, sometimes I'd play it off as being a drag queen because in a college town, sometimes that's the safer thing to do. Um, sometimes I'd kind of play the gender nonconforming role. Uh, j just anything that seemed safer than coming out as trans because living in a state where, again, people were constantly coming after the trans community, these were the safest things I had. Um, when it came, comes to my parents, I was blessed by having a very supportive mother and yet a very abusively transphobic father. So that was always a fine line I had to toe. Um, I actually remember when I was about five, I tried to actually express my gender for the first time and only time until adulthood. Um, I use clothing in my closet to kind of cobble together this like Dorothy-esque uh, outfit. I put a bow in my hair. My hair wasn't long enough. So I, I ducked or uh, I scotch taped a blue bow tie to the top of my head to try and be like Dorothy's bow. And uh, I had my mom's heels, on, red heels on. And I came out being like, I'm fabulous. Here I am. Almost like this like presentational, like, look at me world. This is who I am. And I just remember, um, my dad beating me until I was a, a, a welted crying mess. And that's enough to stuff anyone into the closet for quite some time. And my father was abusive to my mother, so she couldn't really protect me. Um, 
she tried and then that usually resulted in her getting beaten as well um so yeah so that's <laughs> that's my childhood trauma um that i kind oh, of stepped man. back into so, so um going forward i and if anyone's like why is she laughing right now to quote a one of my favorite uh, stage and film characters who I've had the opportunity to play, Hedwig Robinson from Hedwig and the Angry Inch, as she says several times throughout the play, I laugh because I'll cry if I don't. And that was a lot of my young journey. But um, when I got to be about 26 and started deciding, no, I'm going to make this happen because I had gotten to a point where I was so depressed, I was so unwell because of this weight of having to continually hide who I was, I finally just cracked and said, you know, um, screw it. I'm going to be who I am. I'm out of college now. So my college funding can't get pulled um, because my father was a veteran. So I was able to go to school through a, the um, GI bill, but he had the power to revoke that. And my knowing that he was queer phobic, I, I, ne I chose never to do that. Um, so yeah, I, I went on hormones right at my, uh, it was actually right at my, right before my 27th birthday, I went on hormones. I started socially transitioning to more people. Um, I came out to my mother. Um, and around this time, I also met a really phenomenal, understanding, loving, caring man who is now my husband. Um, and that was my journey. And once I was out and living my true authentic self and feeling more empowered, more whole, more, more everything than I ever had before. I realized I don't want any other person to ever have to go through what I went through. And that's what led me on the path that brought me to my current career that I'm now, I work for a queer advocacy group uh, specifically for kids and young adults. We have a safe uh, center for them. We provide housing for those who have become homeless, either being kicked out or having to run away from home. And I often think I always want to be my own version of my mother to these kids. Like my, like I said, my mother was loving and supportive. So I want to be that um, safe maternal figure to a lot of kids while at the same time, making sure that no kid ever has to deal with someone like my father. Um, and that's what's brought me to this work I do. And that's why I, I'm so passionate about it. And like I said, I sometimes get a little too passionate and I start getting worked up. Um, but it's because it is such a deeply personal thing. And I understand the pain that trans people feel on a daily basis. So I want to always strive to do whatever I can to alleviate some of that pain. Okay. So, yeah, there's just so much going about on about uh, trans people like there's the a lot of people will say when they're trying to say they're like oh well I get you could might transition when you're an adult but leave the kids out of it and it's like well the kids are the ones going through the most I I mean I'm coming at this from a someone who identifies as a cisgender gay man this is not my experience but I'm kind of picking up from everyone I've heard that when you're a kid, you know you're you know you're trans. You you basically yeah. said it yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If and I mean, your cool. kids aren't having if your kids aren't getting support, support then they're uh, they're they're wondering what's going on. 
<laughs> yeah. It's, uh, and like I said earlier, there's also some kids who don't know they're trans when they're young, and that's perfectly fine. It's a Everyone goes on the journey at a different pace. But it, it is always interesting when people say, well, there's no way a kid could know their gender. But then if you ask these people, well, did you know you were a boy when you were a kid? Did you know you were a girl? And they're like, well, yeah. And it's like, why do you get to know this, but they don't? Like, what? how is it possible that you would know and they possibly couldn't? And it's, it's such a, an unfathomable thing and it's we're not bringing kids into anything the kids are reaching out tell these kids are being brave enough to trust the adults in their life to say this is who i am and i'm asking for your help to help me be my full self and i i just don't understand the people who think we shouldn't listen to that i and one thing i want to make perfectly clear is there is not a reputable gender clinic in the country that and least of all indiana that is performing surgeries on minors gender affirming surgery is something that reputable doctors are going to tell you that you need to wait until adulthood for for a plethora of reasons one yes surgery is a very big decision and it needs to be thought about and consented to by an adult a person when they are an adult and it also the the body is not yet done developing so you have to kind of wait to do the surgeries then but that's not what gender affirming healthcare for kids is it's providing them with counseling um if they are going through puberty and say a, a trans woman's voice a trans girl's voice is deeper than she's comfortable with that's um speech pathology and vocal training and vocal therapy to help learn how to use their voice in a way that's more reflective of how they feel they should sound. It's hormone replacement therapy or hormone blockers. More likely than not, hormone blockers are what are used until someone is at the very least 16, um, usually 18. And that's, hormone blockers are 100% reversible because they don't cause your body to change or develop. They just hold off the development that would happen through puberty and puberty is a stressful time for any kid and to go through it and have your body changing and becoming more and more unrecognizable to you more unlike yourself it's a it's a traumatizing thing it's a it's a very hurtful thing to experience i remember when i went through it um you know puberty is that thing that you know it's that transition from childhood into adulthood and so if you are born and assigned biologically male at birth when you go through puberty there's suddenly traits that are distinctly more manly that you didn't have to worry about as a child and that adds a whole new level of distress and gender dysphoria it's the same for trans men uh, as they begin to develop more bodies that are more what we would traditionally call feminine or womanly and so like hormone blockers just gives these kids time to avoid that while they figure out for certain who they are and um and consult with a medical professional so like we are not like you said people always say leave the kids out of it people try and bring this argument that we're that uh kids are being mutilated it, it's not true because there's no surgery um even if they're on hrt that can often be backtracked with medication um but like it, it's usually 
just hormone blockers. And I, and again, it's like, trust the kids when they tell you who they are, they're in their bodies, they're in their own hot heads. You're not. So just listen to them. And if you're not willing to extend a helping hand, just sit down and shut the hell up and let them, let them live their life. Let their parents decide what is right for them. That's another thing in Indiana legislation. I always hear parents' rights, parents' rights, parents' rights. And that was being thrown around a lot last year because there was a group of uh, parents. Um, I don't want to give them a platform, but I will call them out. They are called Purple for Parents. And uh, they were trying to put, uh, pass a book ban. Um, and they want to ban everything that does not fit with their their life ideals. So that includes anything that mentions queer people. Um, it includes anything that's not inherently Christian. Uh, it includes things like the diary of Anne Frank. Uh, you know, so they're, they're banning these things, these books that, because they're saying it's their right as a parent to choose what their kid is reading or seeing. But then just a week later, when there's a hearing about trans healthcare, suddenly the parents who are supportive of their trans kids, have have absolutely no right. They're being told they don't know what's right for their kids. Um, so it's kind of like that fun little thing of watching hypocrisy at play uh, nonstop. Yeah, so, so yeah, we're not bringing the kids into it. The kids are asking us to get into it to help them. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is that people are like, oh, well, what if it's just a phase? Well, what if it is? You let the kid play it out. And if it turns out to not actually be, be, be there, then they won't transition. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what the hormone blockers are for. If a kid is getting to be about um, transition, or sorry, um, puberty age, and they're like, I don't really know for sure if I am what I was assigned at birth, the hormone blockers buy them some time to figure it out. Um, but I feel like the majority of kids figure it out way before puberty. And then once puberty hits, you know, and your body starts telling you more things, that's when you really start to know. And like you said, it's, if, what if it is a phase? Well, then it'll just change. Like, we're not giving them surgeries. They, they can change and it's okay for them to go back and forth. It's okay. Some kids may think they're trans and then discover they're non-binary. Actually, a, a medical study um, I can't remember what university did it, but it was brought up actually as evidence in support of trans kids at the legislative season last year. Um, of all the kids of the, I think it's like, if a hundred kids start transition, only 10 will detransition. And about two of those 10 do so because there is pressure on them from the outside to detransition. And then the other like seven were found to discover that as they were going through transition, they discovered that they were non-binary. So they stopped transition um, to pursue to pursue another route to their, their gender expression. So, you know, there's no harm in letting kids explore their identities and explore who they are. And, you know, going with these phases, people always say, I hear these such fallacious arguments that, oh, I was a tomboy as a child, and I am horrified to think that if I had been a tomboy in this day and age, they would have forced me into being a boy. No one's doing that. It's perfectly all right to be a tomboy. It's, you know, there are people who are more masculine presenting that are just butch lesbians. 
all valid. Gender expression isn't black and white. No one's forcing anyone to transition. People also argue, well, I thought I was a dinosaur when I was four years old. Uh, what if I wanted to transition into being a dinosaur? And it's like, no, you didn't think you were a dinosaur. You pretended to be a dinosaur. It was a, a make-believe fantasy scenario. And even ch young children are aware of what make-believe is and what pretend is. Whereas trans kids, it's not make-believe. It's not a game. It's not something that they toss off 10 minutes later because they're bored with it. Um, the argument I always hear is like, you know, did you look in the mirror and cry because you didn't have a tail? Did Were you saddened that you didn't have claws and scales or feathers or however you imagined a dinosaur to look? No, because you, you didn't identify as a dinosaur. You just wanted to pretend to be one for a little while. Whereas these trans kids are looking in the mirror and crying because they don't look the way they feel they should. And as they get older and older, they, they feel like they're moving further away from what they're supposed to look like as they hit puberty. So it's, it's not the same thing. And there's so many fallacious arguments that don't even make sense. Oh, boy. So, yeah, that's basically the attack helicopter joke that they keep going back to. Yeah, and it's such, a, it's such a stupid thing. Like, we are talking about real people who exist, talking about real identities that exist, and you're likening it to an inanimate object. It's it's just stupid. It's staggeringly stupid. Yeah. Uh, and it... A lot of homophobia and transphobia seems to come up... Uh, seems to just be sexism. Just repackaged. Oh, yeah. You well. know... Yeah, I would very confidently say in most cases transphobia is misogyny with a few extra steps or <laughs> sexism with a few extra steps because while society is generally not kind to the whole of the trans community trans women get it so much worse than trans men um like when you look at sports bills and sports bands and bathroom bills and bathroom bands they're almost always using trans women as the example and trans men are often left out of the conversation which that level of erasure is a whole problematic issue in and of itself but there is this weird thing where like with sports they'll say well anyone who's assigned male is inherently going to be more talented stronger faster just generally better than a, a cis woman and that right there is empirically false it's sexist. It's rooted in misogyny. Like, I will say, put me on a field. Like, I am a 34-year-old adult trans woman. Put me on any sports field with a teenage cisgender athlete, female athlete. They are going to wipe the floor with me. <laughs> because I don't have an advantage because I was assigned male at birth. I, I don't. They're going to do better because they have a skill. They've practiced it. They have talent. Um, and I think even if I had practiced sports, I still would not have been good at them. Like, that's just an inherent thing. So it is that level of misogyny. And it's weird how trans women face misogyny and misandry both, um, which is such, like, it makes your head spin. You know, in one breath, someone will say, well, you can't do this because there's this thought of like just being a, a woman 
is disgusting to a lot of cis men. Like the idea of being a woman is shameful. That's why even with drag or gender nonconformity or the fact that, you know, people should be able to wear whatever they want. The idea of a man in a dress is shocking to people because there's something shocking and wrong about being a woman. And I'm using this all with quotation fingers. I don't, I'm not saying these, I'm saying this is what people say. And so there's that level of misogyny, but then at the same time, people will then in the next same breath say, oh, well, you're, you're a man, so you can't enter these women's circles. So trans women are being gatekept from both sides. And it's just, it's messy. It's pick one. Are, are, trans, is there some, are trans women too feminine? Is there a problem with them being women? Yeah. Or is the problem with them being quote unquote men? Like make up your mind of what your argument is. And I can see, you know, arguments coming from either side, but there's some people who try and argue both. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, and it yeah. is. Uh, it, it, did, did you have a point we need to finish there? I was about to say something else, but sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was I was trying to think of where I was. Like, I again, I got caught up on like just the frustration and the uh people in this world. <laughs> yeah, I was going to going to bring this back around to a point I touched on earlier, where sometimes you. There's groups like, there's one called the LGB Alliance that quite, leaves out the T, does not want to use the word queer to refer to people because they also refer, include, the term queer has been reclaimed from being a, just a, a slur to being something inclusive of everyone who basically experiences life, whether it's their sexuality or gender, in a uh -huh. way that's not you know, the way we, we've generally been taught to view it over the years, so many years. And they, they want to cut that out. I'm just like, what on earth? You were, like, I remember, there was a, like, I think about my life sometimes. I think so much would have just gone easier if I had known it, what, one, being gay was, and two, that it was okay and I'm just like, here we are with another group of people who it's not the same thing, but it's still similar in that they're being told that something that is just inherent to them is wrong. And how, why are we turning around and why are people who have undergone this not trying to turn around and tell someone else, well, you're wrong? It, it, that, that really ticks me off because I'm like, it's different, but it's not that different. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, people always want to argue, well, the LGB community needs to be separate than the TQ because our half is about sexuality and their half is about gender expression and, or, or just gender. And it's like, but the thing is, they're both about going against the quote unquote societal norms, you know, like. And let's not even talk about intersectionality because yeah. you could be trans and gay. You could be trans and bi, you know, you can be non-binary and still identify as gay or lesbian, even though, you know, even though you're not in that gender binary, people still will use those terms because that's how they identify. That's how they feel. Um, it, it's just, it's this level of respectability politics and, pick me mentality that I've never understood. I think it's a weird kind of self-preservation. 
Um, in the queer community, I feel like there are a lot who think I need to fight for the entire community. I need to fight for people like me, people who are not like me, but I can sympathize with. I feel like the more sympathetic and empathetic people are the ones fighting for everyone. And then you got these people who say, well, cut the trans and queer people out. It's just about us gay. It's that self-preservation that they, they want to signal to the, the cishet world. We're respectable. We're not like the others. Pick us because we're not the, the loud, noisy ones. We're not the ones making waves or, or rocking the boat. And it, again, it, it's just, it's completely baffling that um, people will throw their own community members under the bus. Yeah. And, and I listen to this podcast called Utah Outcast, and sometimes they bring the subject up and they say, hey, you get rid of one, one group of people, we're going against the wall next. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that I'm screaming about with this current Indiana legislation is that, yes, the bill topically is very clearly aimed at trans people. But when you actually start to dig into it and see where they're going to roll back marriage equality by saying marriage is between one biological male and one biological female as assigned at birth. Well, you may think it's not important to stand up and fight for trans people, but once that bill passes and suddenly your your same sex marriage is nullified, then you're probably going to be feeling like, oh, maybe I should have said something. Yeah, because... To talk about marriage equality, it's not quite as assured. Like, I talked with Paul Dane about this on the first episode I recorded well over a year ago, but at that point, we kind of got a little shaken up over because where we waited had been overturned, and, well, they said marriage equality... Sam Osama said he wanted to look at marriage equality again next, so... Yeah, and it's... So it's it's very real. It's happening. Like, people are already, like, trying to take that right away. Um... It's just a shame. I mean, we haven't even had that right federally for a decade, and we're we're just backsliding, and it's terrifying. Um, and it, it always brings me back to that old saying: it shouldn't have to happen to you for it to matter to you. Right. And just the level of like people not even really trying to seem to want to understand or want want to help each other it's completely baffling to me um and you know going back to the term like queer so many people reject it um which i get like some older generations they reject it because it was a slur in their day and so i definitely understand um why they might avoid it personally i love thinking of all people whether they're lesbian gay bisexual transgender non-binary some combination of all of those things I like to think of us all as the queer community because when we say queer, we're tying us together by what binds us, what makes us common, uh, what we have in common, I mean to say. And But when we say LGBTQ+, or LGBTQIA, while I understand the original intent was we are going to list these together to show that there's multiple facets to the community, it almost seems to punctuate the differences. Um, because I've also heard, like, I once heard a gay man go on a complete tangent about how it should be GLBTQ because gay men matter more than lesbians, somehow. And I, he oh. has no real valid argument to back that up. Um, that also erases a really important thing. If you actually look at the historical terminology, the G came before the L initially, but it changed during the AIDS crisis when 
gay men were dying from AIDS and the world was turning a blind eye, many lesbians, and especially lesbians in the healthcare profession, are the ones who step forward to help, to take care of these, these people who were affected by this horrible disease that the government was doing nothing about. And so as I understand it, and I've heard it described to me this way by queer historians, that's when the L came first because they, they, the, the lesbians were putting other people first in that time period. Um, but I really don't think the order should matter. Um, I, I don't think anyone, I don't think there's a hierarchy in the queer community, but we always do kind of see LGBTQ almost entirely represented. When you say LGBTQ, you can almost bet that the face of it's gonna be white cis gay men. Whereas when you say queer, um, sometimes the faces that spring to mind are going to be faces of color, uh, people who are gender diverse. And I'm concerned by how upset that makes people. Um, talking about the term, and, and you know, people can't even agree what the Q stands for in LGBTQ+. I was talking to a guy at a pride function over the summer, and he's like, well, we shouldn't call it queer. Um, he was like, well, you know, and I said, well, you know, the Q and LGBTQ, you know, that stands for queer, although some might say it stands for questioning. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, the Q stands for questioning. We gave that to you. And I was like, excuse me, what do you mean you gave that to us? And he said, well, we added Q for questioning because questioning's the the trans and non-binary people, the people who don't know what they are. And I was just like, excuse me, what? That is absolutely not what questioning means. And trans and non-binary people are not confused about who they are. Many of them are very firm in knowing who they are. And so just these like this weird us first mentality, this, I, this idea that one group is better than the other. I, like guys, we're supposed to all be fighting for the same cause. We're supposed to be friends. We're supposed to be neighbors. We're supposed to be a community. Let's act like it. Exactly. Oh man. Yeah, this, this, this is a topic that can kind of make your blood boil a bit because, and honestly, it should because if, if we don't do anything, they're going to roll back, back rights and we won't be able to live openly without people coming for, for you. Yeah, I, I mean, from the moment this bill got proposed and it went public, my husband and I have been having conversations almost nightly about what are we going to do if it passes? Because one of the things that they're threatening to do also is start going back, opening court files and rolling back people who have changed their gender legally or changed their name legally, um, which is absolutely terrifying. It's very much like Handmaid's Tale. And, you know, anytime Handmaid's Tale has gotten brought up in the last, what, eight years, people always think that we're being hyperbolic or whatever. And But it's like, there's a whole subplot in Handsmaid's Tale about how they're like, if you got a divorce, that divorce isn't legal anymore. You're still married to your first person. So what you're doing now is illegal because adultery is illegal. And I'm really afraid that they're going to start doing that, start rolling back saying, well, yes, you, like when my husband and I got married, my gender marker had been legally changed and the court files have been sealed. I'm afraid that they're going to go back, crack them open, say you were assigned male at birth, meaning you are a biological male. Your husband is biologically male. Your marriage is now annulled. And it, that, that's a terrifying prospect. So our, you know, we, we've mapped out escape plans. 
Do we, you know, do we drive to Toronto because it's only an eight hour drive? Do we flee to Massachusetts, which has kind of been this um, pillar of queer rights for the last 20 years? Or do we look to immigrate to Ireland and just get out of this country altogether and away from it? Um, so yeah, it's terrifying. They're, they're coming for us. They're coming for the most marginalized and most vulnerable already. They came for the kids last year. Now they're coming for the trans and non-binary adults. And I, I again, I'm going to scream it. Once they're done with the trans and non-binary community, they are going to come after the gay and lesbian and bisexual communities. And once that's done, they're going to come for women. They're going to come for people of color. And the thing is, they already have. The reverse of Roe versus Wade, the rollback of affirmative action, they're already doing it. And it's so unjust. It's so unfair. So we've got to start making noise now. Rock the boat. If ever there was a time to do it, it's now. Because if we wait to say something after it's happened, it's going to be a lot of a harder fight to get back away from it. Yeah. <sighs> it And it, it, it's not going to be like, I don't know, uh, what's a movie where someone's taken over and then they fight back and then, yay, everything's happy again. It's not like that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> what is that? Star Wars? <laughs> well, I was going to say know? Star Wars, but now we've almost like Star Wars is almost a good one because they did the sequel trilogy where um, look what happens. Almost well, the same yeah, thing happens again. It is very much a, a, a cyclical thing. And we've seen that in history. We get rights, they get taken away. We get rights, they get taken away. But we've somehow reached this point in American history where we're not heeding history. We're not looking back at what's happened in the past. Um, we're not even looking what happened seven years ago. You know, the fact that if, you know, I was going to say if I can get political, but people already think human rights is political. So I'm just going to go there. Like the fact that there are people totally willing to vote for Donald Trump again, when he's already proven himself to be a traitor, um, a maniacal uh, human rights violator. We, we don't even hate the history that happened seven years ago. Why are we going to look at the history from 70 years ago or, or earlier or later? Um, yeah. Like, history repeats itself. And it's really feeling like America's doomed to repeating the worst parts. Ugh. Those who don't under history are doomed to repeat it. And those who do under history often wind up screaming as they want to strike, grabs the driver, grabs the steering wheel. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the fact that we are supposed, like America is often held up as this pillar of the free world, the like the, the uh, modern world. No, it's America is definitely three third world countries in a trench coat trying to masquerade as any kind of modern. Like when you look at countries that are much smaller and even much younger and are still doing much better with human rights than we are in America. Like, look at look at a lot of the small countries in Europe. Look at Ireland and the Nordic countries. A lot of them have been on the cutting edge of progress for decades, and America just seems to be falling further and further apart. But somehow we are we are still looked at as that that big icon of the free world, which I think is absolutely fake and false. Yeah. 
pull the her curtain back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because on Let's Get Both Ties, we are basically sister podcast to World Podcast of Oz, and we just cannot help but mention Oz almost every episode. I mean, yeah, and I mean, we had it like, sorry, I'm getting myself all worked up again. Um, but what I was going to say there is, you know, you got to reach into Oz because Oz is very reflective of the human condition. Uh, you know, this parts of this conversation have paralleled um, when you and I talked about Ozma last year. So, yeah, I absolutely dip into Oz because it, it just makes sense here. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to get into about an hour. And honestly, I'm, I'm going to repeat what you said. Get, get in touch with your senators. Get t- email your governors or phone or phone call their office or something and let them know you believe that it would be detrimental to our society to roll back rights for transgender people, uh, gay people, women, whatever. Whatever you need to say. Write as often as you can. Yeah. And you never know. You never know. I... Like, I have this little story where um, Billy Long was, I think, my senator. I'm not sure if I, I still am because I moved to a slightly different... I moved, like, a few streets over, and now I'm in a different voting section entirely. Because, welcome to America. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, I wrote to Billy Long about healthcare and... Use my uh, co-worker I had who actually straight up died because she couldn't get good health care. And um, I thought, okay, well, he's a Republican. He's probably not going to even care about what I said, but at least I said something. And then I hear or see this thing that says, says Donald Trump wants to know why Billy Long isn't towing the party line. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, you know... <sighs> I'm not. I'm not going. I'm not going to claim that I did that. But if enough people like me were speaking up, good. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's interesting when you do see like someone who does kind of flip on an issue. Um, last year in the legislative season, I actually saw a couple of Republicans vote against trans health care bans um, because one person in the hearing testified. Um, she was a. I can't remember actually if she was a senator or a representative. But she testified the fact that her family had just lost a member. It was a niece of hers who came out as a lesbian. The family rejected her and she took her own life. And so I hate that it takes something horrible like that to make people realize, but um, that's why we really got to just like start writing letters and talking to these people and making them see the other side with these very real things that happen because of transphobia and homophobia and queerphobia in general. Yeah. Um, so yeah, people again, rock that boat. Um, Senate and house hearings are public. A lot of people don't know that you can go to your state house during a hearing and sit in the gallery and watch the whole thing unfold in most jur- jurisdictions, actually probably all jurisdictions. Um, I'm not a lawyer, so I won't speak for certain you can, apply to testify at a house or a senate hearing so you can go and give your personal testimony and experiences and stories to help influence these laws so now's the time to be loud and make it happen um you know maybe writing a letter will yield results like jay just said so let's hope that we can 
change their hearts without them having to go through something heartbreaking, like experiencing the loss that queer people and the families of queer people do on an almost daily basis. Okay. So yeah, get uh, go look up your address and find out who you need to contact and do that. So, um, uh, are there any, considering our whole conversation here, are there any resources or, you know, books, podcasts, videos, movies, documentaries, anything you want to recommend that people look up? Oh, wow. There are so many. <laughs> um, a, a good, a really good resource is the Trevor Project. Now, a lot of people have heard of the Trevor Project and know that they do anti-suicide work. Um, they have a suicide hotline, a, a teen crisis line. Um, and a lot of people think that's the core of what they do. Well, that is the core of what they do, but they think that's what all they do. Um, the Trevor Project actually does have several resources for parents, uh, business owners, teachers, um, really any person who needs to learn how to be a better ally to the community. The Trevor Project offers those resources, um, as does GLSEN. Um, for those who aren't uh, familiar with GLSEN, that is an acronym, so it's actually G-L-S-E-N, um, as well as the um, PFLAG, uh, P-F-L-A-G. Um, those, all those three organizations do have uh, resource pages that will direct you to uh, life-saving resources, educational resources, uh, GLSEN has a lot of talking points. So if you work in media or public relations, I do highly recommend checking out GLSEN because they will help you to talk and speak competently about these issues. Uh, also, just look in your general area. Uh, find out if there is a queer community center or advocacy group in your area because they can probably very, more than anyone else, help you understand what's going on in your state and educate you on those matters. Um, if you are in Indiana, I'll do a, a, a plug for a really great organization, Indiana Youth Group, um, indianayouthgroup.org. There's a lot of resources there for queer families, queer parents, queer kids. Um, also a great way to stay on top of what's going on in the state. So if you're a Hoosier, I recommend checking them out. Um, if you're in one of the other 49 states, uh, just look for advocacy groups in your area because the more you can zone in on what's happening in your state and your towns, the more work you can do on your level and make that progress. But obviously you also want to be aware of national issues. So that's where like Trevor Project and GLSEN and PFLAG will really come in handy. Okay. So, um, well, I always ask people if they want to drop their social media handles, if they uh, they ways they want people to connect to the, with them if they want to. So, you got socials? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, so, yeah, I, I rarely get asked this question on a personal level. So, yeah, if, if you're listening and you're like, hey, I want to talk to her more, um, I'm really easy to find on just about any social media if you just search my name, Zoe O'Halen Byrne. Believe it or not, there are not a lot of O'Halans in the U.S. Um, good old antiquated Irish name. So, um, yeah, if you look me up on Facebook, Instagram, or um, Twitter. Well, I don't really use Twitter. I refuse to call it X. I don't really use them anymore. So that's probably not a good spot. But um, Instagram or Facebook, you know, feel free to send me a friend request. Send me a message. Um, if you just need someone to talk to or someone to direct you to uh, resources or help you navigate to resources for queer people in your area, uh, feel free to reach out. Um, I'd 
I'd love to help out any way I can. And maybe I should mention this earlier, but um, if you have a trans person in your life and you might have just recently met them and you're not sure what what to refer to them as, number one, if you knew them by another name before, go with the name they're going by now. That's using a name they were going with before. It's called dead naming. That's not cool because you're not respecting their actual identity. And if you're not sure about what pronouns to use or how to refer to them, talk to them privately and don't do it in front of other people because it can get a little awkward for them. I know recently someone I know was dealing with a trans person and kind of brought up the fact that they were trans and that this person used to be another gender in front of other people and basically they were then surprised when... The person told them afterward, you made me really uncomfortable there. Yeah. So yeah. The, the best way to do it is model it on yourself. If you meet someone or you've met someone before and maybe you don't know what pronouns they're using now or you've forgotten, the best way to do it is, you know, say, oh, hi, my name's Zoe. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, what's your name and pronouns? You know, do it for yourself and then request it because then it's making it just commonplace, even if you're cisgender. Even if you're cisgender, sharing your pronouns makes it easier for trans and non-binary people to do it because it's not a thing. Ever if everyone's doing it, it's not a scary um, outing thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but like Jay said, you know, talk to people in private. Don't ever dead name someone. There's a great meme on the internet that says, "If you know someone's old name, no, you don't." <laughs> um, so yeah, just just be polite and conscientious and have respect. And that's, that's the best way to approach anyone. Yeah. Okay. So thank you very much, Zoe. I think we made a really good, I think we had a really good talk here because um, I know that I more focused on celebrating her talking about, about stories people enjoy, but I'm like, and there's space for that, but we also need to talk about very important issues, especially the way things are going now, so I, I really wanted to have, have you on to talk. I mean, I do know other trans people, but not not a lot of them are super comfortable with being on podcasts right now. So, yeah, and that's perfectly understandable. Like I, I sometimes joke. I, you know, I'm I, I've somehow managed to make a career out of my identity. So you know, speaking. Um, for and about trans people so, comes yeah. easy to me and it's a privilege and an honor to do it so thank you so much for giving me this platform to share yeah i know that you're not afraid to go off because <laughs> yeah you have anyone who you had to hold back so gonna, long you don't care anymore <laughs> well yeah and i should also put anyone who doesn't know me this is holding back like even though i'm kind of like saying what i gotta say and i've kind of removed my professional hat so i can talk as me a person, not me as a nonprofit representative. Um, if you heard the way I talked about these matters with my husband and my close friends, you'd be like, oh wow, she's really reserved and still very professional. <laughs> I bet. And you know what? Say, I, I, I'm just gonna say th again, thank you for talking about this with us. However you've chosen to do it, I did actually message you beforehand and say you're allowed to go off. But yeah, no, I, I. On the other I hand, though, we still want to get this into a listenable format. So, I, I thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. All right. 
Well, all right. So I think we're get wrapped up here. So thank you again one more time. I said this like three times, but hey, it's worth it. <laughs> I all, I always have the policy you can't think, you can't show too much gratitude. Right. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I again, and I really appreciate you. Uh, giving me the platform because I don't often get to talk about this on a personal level. I usually have to do it for work and um, keep a very professional mindset and follow a script. I mean, I write the script, but I still have to follow one. Um, so just kind of being able to talk and share in more of a conversational way was actually pretty refreshing for me. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad we got that. And I'm glad, glad that there was a good time for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Except my cat here, who's just bit my arm because she doesn't like that. It's moving so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, you take care of yourself. And, you know. Well, thank you. You too. And stay warm. I don't know what the weather's like in Missouri, but we've had, like, semi-blizzards out here in Indy. Well, my laptop here is saying it's one degree outside, so. Um... Okay. So you guys might actually be colder than us. Uh... <laughs>